This week I had a conversation with Paul Shanahan and James Best, who share how they set about taking action to create Future Bayswater, an award-winning community group focused on shaping the future prosperity of the Bayswater in Western Australia. They explain how, after sitting in a meeting, they faced the stark realisation that, on top of the fact that Bayswater wasn't really going anywhere as a community, that, most importantly, that no one in authority had any real plans for its development and nobody was really thinking about where it was going and that it, if it was going to go anywhere, it fell to them to look beyond themselves and bravely step up and leave their comfort zone and take action to do something. Even though, as you find out, it uh, incurred a lot of significant backlash and criticism on many levels. Paul and James have now created a movement and and mobilised a community. They've um, brought in experts to educate and and really engage with the community and as they focus to seek the public permission and, and inclusion to shape the future of Bayswater and by doing this really put the public voice to government and business alike. I think they've also uh, enjoyed a few beers along the way. These guys really epitomise the WA real ethos of taking responsibility and putting yourself out there making yourself accountable irrespective of the scale of the resistance that may come your way in doing so. So enjoy, Paul and James. Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards, taking action to proactively create and shape the future of our neighbourhoods and where they're going in terms of development is this week's topic that we're going to dive into today with my guests, Paul Shanahan and James Best. Paul was born and raised here in Perth, WA. Paul had what he describes as a typical WA upbringing of footy, cricket and beach. He has a very successful career as a teacher and is currently Head of Science at Chisholm College in Bedford. In 2015, he started the Future Bayswater project. And in 2016, he met James. James is fourth generation from WA, although actually born in Melbourne. We'll work out how that works in a minute. Um, James studied at Curtin Uni and since then has had a variety of roles with a focus on strategy and facilitation to bring about wide-scale change. He was also Mayor of South Perth between 2007 and 11. James and Paul, welcome to the show. Hi, Bryn. How are you? Very well. G'day, Bryn. Thank you. So, as I put, as I brought out there in the introduction, both of you have very strong connections here in Western Australia. Um, do you think that the fact that you were both so rooted in WA from from your childhood has played a significant role into why Future Base Water has been such a passionate project for both of you? It's a really good question. I, I would say undoubtedly. Um, you know, I mean, my memories of growing up in WA of of my parents and and their parents, the ones that were still alive, were still talking about the war. You know, um, um, and and the depression and how hard they worked to make you know my life what it is now. Um, I think the big thing I learned about living in WA through my parents is that nearly everybody I knew from their generation wanted to leave the place better off. Hmm. And they worked really, really hard at doing that. And I guess, I don't know about you, James, but I always sort of assumed that that's what every generation did, that they just automatically left the place better off. So I think about the sacrifices of living in a fairly desolate place. My great-grandparents and grandparents did it. Going off to war and fighting, I don't want to get too you know, melodramatic here, but the sacrifices they made... 
um, and the sacrifices my parents made, it was all about leaving the joint better off. They, so that was role modelled from an early age. I, I, I think so. And with future Bayswater, what I, I've noticed, I think this is one of the, I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but for me, one of the driving factors I realise now is that a lot of people in my generation don't share that. A lot do, right? but an increasing number don't. So for me, I th- and you know, a love of your locality, a love of the people in the place that you live Love WA, I love all that it's given me, I can give it to my kids, but I do have concerns about its future development. But that's probably the big thing I got. Hmm. Yeah, and I guess for me, um, my great-great-grandparents pushed their wheelbarrow over the Nullarbor from Melbourne in 1870, so they actually came for the Jarrah boom. Um, you know, imagine that, a Jarrah before the gold boom. <laughs> wow. And um, so uh, they got down to Collie and um, you know, it was an incredible hardship of actually having to chop the Jarrah trees down in order to put them into logs and send them off as ballast back to London. They then became the um, subway, the uh, London Underground sleepers. And um, yeah. The uh, the incredible hardship. So you know, my father talks about the uh, the group settlement scheme that they lived in Ongarup and uh, Esperance. And um, my grandfather was a school teacher, so they basically travelled around. Every two years, they got moved to another school, and it got to the stage where my grandfather would um, often open new schools. So when Esperance was discovered, he opened the school there. Um, and his last posting was opening the uh, the Churchlands High School um, here in Perth. So, um, interestingly, when my dad um, left uni, he thought Perth um, was a bit slow and backwards and a bit too quiet. So he decided he'd head to Sydney, where it was going to be undou- undoubtedly more exciting. He got to Melbourne and met my mum, and that's where I was born. Right. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's actually something we have in common because my dad was a teacher as well. And he was actually uh, worked in the Catholic system. He was actually a Christian brother, which is another interesting story. Um, but he, in fact, I'll tell that story. He, he grew up in Fremantle. He um, was very, very poor times. So this is about, he's 13, about 1939. A lot of the family had gone off to war. Um, you know, the depression had happened. And basically, where was he going to go to school? How was he going to get a, a, a proper education? And, and the Christian brothers in Frio took him in. Right. In those days when you were recruited by the brothers, um, you were there for life. And in fact, you know, he, he would say he's passed away for over 30 years now, but he would always say he owed a lot to the brothers. However, in 1963, he realised it wasn't really for him. And he was the first, as far as I know, he was the first guy in WA to leave the Christian Brothers right? and he met my mother and the rest is history but you know that sort of you had a bit of guts to do that mm. um, I think I learned a bit about courage through that he got worked in the Catholic system um, and like James's dad you know was responsible for opening a school um, not so much opening it but sort of like college in Joondana um, making it bigger and this was back in the days before Gough Whitlam had decided that we're going to spend money on education in Catholic schools, and he actually took a real punt and expanded that school, um, taking the part that people would want to go to that school, and and, and that's what happened. Um, and it was a really courageous, enterprising decision. Um, 
but a really future focused decision as well. And, right. and I, I don't know about you, James, but I, I, I think I get a lot of that from my father. Not, not saying to the extent he had it. Yeah. But you, you know, doing what we do, you need a bit of courage. Yeah. As you realise tonight, um, you know, um, you need to be future focused. And, and you need to be a little enterprising and, and, and a little selfless too, I would say. Yeah. I, well, I think for me, it's around purpose. You know, yeah. you, you know there's no point um, having a conversation about how you make a place more vibrant and active if you're not sure about um, do we want, you know, a, a street full of, um, you know, chocolate shops or do we want a street full of um, restaurants? We've got to have a mix. We've got to have services and facilities uh, that are going to be useful for people um, to be able to serve the community, the the people within you know eight hundred meters to you know two kilometers of a town center. Mm. How do we get them to come back to the town center mm. rather than jumping in their car and driving to Subiaco or driving to Eastwick Park mm. or Leederville? You know, there's plenty of vibrant, active town centers. Bayswater is not one of them. Right. So, you know, our purpose around uh, live, work, play and providing local jobs. So, you know, for our kids to be able to mm. live locally and um, have a job and, and not just any old job, but interesting jobs, you know, fulfilling jobs. Jobs are going to stretch our creativity, you know, stimulating jobs. Hmm. So that gives us a nice segue into the future Bayswater. Can one of you explain... For, for the listener who's not aware of it, what, what is the Future Bayswater initiative? Well, look, prior to Future Bayswater, um, I, I was one of these people that just sort of expected progress, that as the population of Perth got bigger and bigger, and we're heading to three and a half to four million by the middle of this century, you know, we're going to double in size. Always was vaguely aware of that, but I just figured, well, you know, generations try to leave the place better off we will do this and do this and what i have learned over the last two and a half years is just not the case and actually <clears throat> you want the place to evolve the way it needs to to cater for that population in a prosperous way mm-hmm. um, and, and in a way that's going to be fulfilling and, and and in a way that's going to allow people to have the childhood i had you know that yes. was that was as good as that you you can't rely on government to really do that, especially local government. And I don't mm. want to bag local government too much, but that's that's where I was seeing this disconnect. Um, and so it really started because of that. So in this particular area, um, in the street that we're on at the moment, um, there was a planning, a, a, a local planning strategy here that was about 45, 50 years old. You weren't allowed to have buildings more than two storeys tall. Um, right next to a train station then a couple of years is going to have three trains per minute coming through it mm-hmm. um, it's going to be the first stop from the rail uh, from the the airport to Perth yeah um, and I guess I was one of these people that just thought well of course we'll maximize and leverage this opportunity and it just wasn't happening um, but I didn't know how to go about it and I went to this meeting one night where people who espoused the opposite view to what we want, completely outnumbered myself and a few others. 
And that was a bit of an epiphany. I realised, well, hang on a minute, you know. Well, tell me more about this meeting. Okay, so... Obviously, the watershed moment. Okay, so I was talking about this local planning strategy in this area, and finally, uh, 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 an amendment had been made, and I may get the terminology wrong here, James, you're the wonk, you can actually tell me. wonk. <laughs> yeah. Um, but basically, um, the, the plans were tra- changed to allow for taller buildings, and we finally got our first green shoot of investment in the Bayswater Town Centre. Center. Right on the site we're on now, there are plans for a 20 metre high building. Yeah. And like a lot of people I know, we went, great, there'll be people here, and that all the things that come with more people will come. Economic sustainability, yeah. vibrancy, bars, which I was particularly interested yeah. in. Um, you know, my <laughs> kids <laughs> may even be able to come and work here, yeah. you know, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, but the outcry from a certain group, and I've learned now it's a minority, mm. but they are a very loud minority, shocked me. There were people not only opposing this, but actively opposing this and doing it in a very aggressive, um, interesting way. Mm. Um, anyway, um, I had some friends on who are councillors who said um, there's a town hall meeting happening at base, basically. At this town hall meeting, has been called by these people that I've just been talking about, they can actually make motions from the floor and the council will have to seriously consider them, vote on them. Would you please come? Otherwise, there'll be no one there who actually supports the progress we're trying to get. Hmm. Now, not all the councillors are like that. So I went along and there was over 100 people there. And this is at the town hall. And I walked in and there was a, a, a sort of a frisson in there. Frisson which I had now become quite used to. I actually cause it when I walk into a room. <laughs> when I walk in there, I went, there's something, this is not right. And it was basically a meeting that threw up all of these motions that was going to undo all of the good work that was being done mm. to make this a place that it could be. So I won't go into the details of that. Mm. And I was horrified. I was absolutely horrified. Um, so, you know, they were all having their say and it didn't seem to be based on evidence. It just seemed to be based on what I want and what I like and what I feel and mm. not what the future needs. And so, But there were a smattering of us who got up. So I got up and started speaking for development and progress and the temperature of the room dropped about 20 degrees and, you know, the hostility was thick in the air and I actually kind of enjoyed it, I must admit. Maybe that's another reason I started this. Um, Disruptor. But I noticed, yeah, 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 I think so. But I noticed around the room, I noticed a few other people saying the same things that I was saying. And I just said to myself, I have to meet these people. That yeah. was the epiphany. It was like, if I don't meet these people, I can't do this on my own, but I'm going to have to do something. Yeah. Because I could see the next 50 to 100 years mm. stretching out in front of me around here <clears throat> and I was not seeing what I wanted to see. Yes. I was seeing a moribund place, no jobs, buildings falling down, mm. um, a, real, a real lost opportunity is what I thought. So one of the gentlemen who um, was speaking was a gentleman called Andrew Watt, who you actually met before we started this. And I managed to get his number, um, and it was cold called him. He was still spewing from <laughs> this meeting. I mean, you reckon I was angry? You should have seen this guy. And I don't think he could believe what he was hearing. So we've got to do something. He goes, yep. Yeah. So it really came down to, I'll just grab a bunch of mates, whoever I get to come, you do the same. 
And that's how Future Bayswater was born. Mm. And I think in telling you the genesis of that, you can tell what we're about. Um, yeah. We're about leveraging the opportunities that an inner city hub like this has. It's virtually inner city. You go and stand on the Bayswater train station siding and it looks like looks like doodle kind at the moment, but mm. it's, it's going to be a major hub. It's going to be a Metronet hub and there are massive opportunities mm. that we can leverage out of that around jobs, um, housing diversity as well. That, that's a big one for me. I've got young kids. I had them quite late. And one thing that really occupies me is where are they going to live? Because by the time they get around to buying houses in Bayswater, they're just not going to be able to afford it. Mm. They're just not. Um, but there's no housing stock for them. There's hardly any apartments or anything like that. And, and you know, I see what Bayswater's doing. It's fighting sort of for intergenerational justice. Right. Where, where are our young people going to live when they grow up? And more than that, when James and I, you know, get older and we want to downsize, where are we going to go? Yes. And at the moment, the planning in Bayswater <clears throat> is saying to these people, you can't live here. Go live somewhere else. Right. That's the net effect of what the planning in this area Every is. Every decision is a, is a communication. And that is that. That's the message I'm getting, loud and clear. And, and I just can't have that. I can't have that. I'd be very lucky to find some mates like, like James and Andrew and a whole stack of others um, who, who feel the same way. And... So that's how Future Basel was born, but that's what we're trying to do. Mm. Have I left anything out, James? No, I think you know, the whole idea is uh, live, work and play. So you know, could you imagine a town centre where you don't actually have to drive everywhere? Um, we also know from the research, so we're very much evidence-based and we've got, um, which we can talk in more detail, but we've had um, Curtin students last semester. We had a, um, a group of architecture master's students. It was a research um, piece and then this semester we've got an urban planning group uh, and uh, two architecture groups talking about um, future conditions. How are people going to live their lives in a livability sense where you don't actually need to jump in a car to go and get a litre of milk and then you have to jump in the car to go to work and then you come back and then you jump in the car to go and see your mates. Um, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you could go and see mates and have a few beers and not worry about, um, you know, you could get home safely, but you might have the pollute now you'll have with booze buses and everything. You know, it's really had a, had a significant impact on the, um, the hotels and um, the, the small bars. We're now starting, what we're keen to do is see the small bar here in Bayswater where you can walk to it and then walk home. Look, it's a very European... And it's probably a romantic notion that you can live, work and play in a location like Bayswater. But in order to do that, we've got to um, have some intensity. We've got to get some more apartments in the town centre. And um, We also know from the research, so um, we're doing a lot. Peter Newman, Professor Peter Newman, who's just won the um, Scientist of the Year Award, is a very big mentor um, to us. Um, he's spoken at our events and he's often on the phone. <coughs> Uh, the research is showing that um, young people under 25, they don't want to drive as much as we did when we were 24. When mm. I was 25, it was drive everywhere and mm. drive lots of kilometres. So we, we can actually measure that there's been a 20% decline in kilometres travelled by under 25-year-olds. Part of that is also being driven by congestion. 
people don't want to sit in traffic jams anymore. Mm. The other thing is, I mean, do we really want a, a city that's um, 200 kilometres long? I mean, how, how sustainable is that? We're now destroying the, um, the urban fringe, the, our biodiversity hotspot. And um, those, you know, you know I'm, I'm not saying that people can't live out there if they want to, if they have a choice, but we don't think they actually have a choice. We think, we think people are actually being forced out to the fringe because they simply can't afford um, the inner city lifestyle. And I guess, you know, I, I was extremely lucky. I was able to buy a house within three kilometres of the town of Perth CBD. I've got two kids. There's no way known that they're going to be able to find the you know, several million dollars that they need to, to buy a place in, in, the, in where I live. So we talk also about ageing in place. It's this idea that people who went to school, primary school, high school, um, who live close to mum and dad or live close to their grandparents... Um, do we really want families broken up where you know mum and dad who've already you know paid a ten thousand pounds for a place in the town centre, their kids are now having to spend hundreds of thousand dollars out on the urban fringe, and it's that the the, the distance gap between families is something we're trying to mm. fix here in this in this community where you can have multi generational mm. um, living, and look, it's it, this is. Um, this is an anathema to a lot of Perth people. They're not used to the idea that, uh, as in European cities or you know some of the, the more dense American cities or, or um, Asian cities where everybody lives in the town centre and instead of sprawling out, what we're suggesting is we go up. And, and we're not talking about 40-storey buildings in Bayswater. We're, you know, we're talking modest, you know, six, eight. In fact, the... The uh, what was the Anna Kelderman study that, that was building Bayswater. So the building Bayswater report, the feedback is overwhelming that people want eight to ten stories in the town centre to to be able to get that critical mass, mm. so we can make the town centre work better. Yeah, you know the idea that I mean there is a, a, a wine bar opening up a few doors down here, and you know we can look out the window, and when you know, we're not seeing a lot out there. No, we're not. Um, and you would hope. You would hope that the wine bar would attract a lot of people, and I mean, we we're really hoping it's successful. And and and, but geez, if they had people living on top of that, yes, that that be guaranteed, you know, it, it would be a no-brainer. The mm. risk would be reduced. So, it's that wallets past windows, not travelling elsewhere, spending locally, playing locally. There's a lot of facets to to what we're trying to achieve. Um, but there's a lot of benefits mm. that flow from that, and that's what we're, that's what we're trying to, to emphasise. So how do you envisage actually making this happen and influencing it? You've, you've, you've painted a, a cracking picture of, of the vision and some of the things that you want to see in Bayswater. How do we go from great vision to making it happen? Yeah, well, that's a really good question, and um, I think the best way to answer that is to talk about what we've done Yes. And we have not got everything right. There's no doubt about that. We've made mistakes along the way. But I think the first thing that Andrew and I did was we got in touch with other people. I want to give a shout out to Linda and Phil Slater, who I know will be listening to this at some point, two of the first people we met. And, and, and a lot of others, Greg Derui, these are local people, Ben Doyle, have to get an army. You know, mm. It started off as a little squadron, but you, you can't do this on your own. 
but you get people together and we had a we had a really one project and one project was to make sure that that local planning strategy I was telling you about I think it's yep. called a town planning scheme isn't it a TPS it was the, James. It was the Bayswater <laughs> Town Centre Structure Plan yeah mm. um, it's called something anyway um, was to, to save that to make sure that that did not get overturned at council so I guess we had a really pointy uh, purpose at the beginning mm. and, and I think a lot of us thought that if we were successful at that we wouldn't have to do anything else because the door would be open for future development correct what we learnt along the way was that in fact that's not the case you have to be ever vigilant because there's a lot of ways that you can you can overturn things like that and you can slow the process down and, mm. um, and it's very easy if you're not in the conversation there was only one conversation going on, and that was no, 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 we don't want any of that. So that was another reason, that was another purpose to us, to, to start another conversation, mm. the opposite to that, to let our decision makers know that there are people out there who do want to see progress. So And, ways, and, and investment. And investment, that's correct. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, I guess at that point we realised that we, we were batting, battling for something bigger than that. And then the other thing we noticed is that, in fact, wherever you have a place like Bayswater, this problem will, will and does occur. Yeah. So it's a big Perth-wide problem, and, and you can go to any other major city and it happens, but we're talking about Perth. So at that point, I think we, we did a really smart thing. It wasn't my idea, obviously, but it was smart, but... Um, a few people said we need to stop and we need to figure out what our purpose is yes and that's well, where can James I, well, can I just, I'll just back up and say the, the first fight was actually to save this building mm. so um, Paul's often um, fond of saying that we started out um, trying to fight for one building and now we're, we're working for a whole town centre right yeah, yeah that, and that is true so when I talk about the this uh, local planning strategy, that, that's what I'm talking about. We were essentially trying to save a building yes, and we were a Facebook page and that was about it and a letter writer. We wrote lots of letters and we started going to council. But we, we then stopped and said, what, what do we want? And that wasn't hard, but then what you're asking is how are we going to do it? Yes. And the first... So we, we, we decided we had, we had to think about what we wanted to be like. This is how I'm seeing it. By this stage, James had come on board as the mm. mentor and has just been, you know, I'm invaluable. Ask about that in a minute. Yeah, <laughs> invaluable. You know, and he can tell you how invaluable he's been and why. But we spent a lot of time. We decided what we wanted is we wanted this conversation that we were promoting to be safe. So all the wacko stuff that you see on social media, uh, we really wanted to try and stay out of that. Haven't always been successful, by mm. the way. But we we work really hard at trying to. Have a safe, robust. And by safe, you mean where there's no personal abuse, yes, no threats, um, where you can disagree, but you do it in a manner where you're talking about the issue. Mm. Um, and we're really strong on that. And the administrators of our page will make sure that that happens by um, blocking people, graying them out, um, and other ways. So we decided we were going to do that. We decided we wanted to be data-driven. So this is probably the physics teacher in me. But, you know, this stuff cannot be about emotion because if it is, you're lost. Yeah. Because it is an emotional subject. You're talking about the places where people live and what it's going to be like. But if you are future-focused and you have the community interest in, 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 in your heart, that's a, an exciting conversation to have. 
if you're not that way inclined, and that might sound harsh, it's a fearful, really scary conversation to have. And when people get scared and they get fearful, they can quite often start saying things that quite frankly aren't true. But there's change and there's unknowns. Correct. So, but, but I guess it was—it's the blanket. Uh, you know, what we're doing is creating a slum, or we're creating um, a, a less um, advantageous place to live. We're, we're um, trying to pick winners. We're um, driving down the price of our houses. And yeah, or, or um, we're only trying to appeal to the evil, greedy developer who's simply going to maximise their profit and, and destroy the community. Uh, and some of you know, there's a, there's a lot of urban myths out there around how do you um, how does a community take control? I think really what Paul's talking about is how how does a community take control of the agenda yes. rather than have the developers do it to you mm-hmm. um, or have the state government come and tell you what they're going to do to you um, or a council that's sort of caught in the crosshairs and doesn't have the courage to actually uh, mount the evidence explain explain future mm. conditions and explain what the future how the how we can make a tangible benefit yeah. and it's interesting because um in the previous podcast i just uh, i did last week with um a guy called um brody mcculloch who owns the space cubed in 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 um perth yeah, yeah. he pointed out something which I, I struggled to put my finger on probably from being raised in England and only coming here eight years ago. But he pointed out that as Australians very much look towards government to do something. Mm-hmm. And, and you, 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 men, you mentioned that earlier in totally. this conversation. Totally. And, and then, then all of a sudden it's like, well, what, what they, uh, surely they're going to help us or look after us or do this or do that. And, and um, often they don't. And so you get to that turning point of right, we've got to do this ourselves. We've got to take responsibility, accountability, and we've got to drive this as a collective. And um, that's what I'm hearing. Totally. And I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I mean, getting back to, the, well, when you look at a group like us, we actually see ourselves as one leg of a, a three-legged stool. So there's government. Yep. who set, set the direction through legislation. That's really important. Um, and then, you know, governments or governments are broke. It's pretty much true. We need private money. You know, we need private developers mm. to be there to fund this vision. It's, it's just a, a given. Um, you know, I mean, Peter Newman told me that most superannuation funds in Australia send their money to your old country. <laughs> To yeah. fund the development there, um, so you know we we need that that money to, to fund the vision that we're talking about. Um, but the third thing you really need is you need a future Bayswater. Mm. You need a, an authentic grassroots local group mm. who, as James says, well, okay, there's the broad vision. Now this is what we want it to be like here yeah. in our locality. So we're striving to be that. I mean, getting back to how we do it. I mean. The, the evidence base is really important yeah. because, because, you know, these urban myths and these mistruths and these overstatements, you, you, you've got to confront them and you've got to do it in a safe way and you need evidence to do that. And by the way, we're not splitting the atom here. This has been done successfully in a lot of places, yeah, including yeah. London and a lot of other places that many of us have been to. Um, we then decided 
that if we got up in front of the community and started saying, this is what we want, this is what we want, we were going to come across probably as the dogmatic type of group that we're not a big fan of. So what we decided to do, and it was I just had no idea if this was going to work because I'm not from a planning, town planning, development, architectural mm. background. We decided to have a speaker series because a lot of our group have expertise in a whole range of areas from education to community engagement to um, you know, local businesses, but town planning in particular and architecture, we have quite a few representatives in Bayswater, funnily enough, that live around the corner from us. So they had a lot of contacts. So we had about, I think about eight events, the local pub, the Bayswater Hotel, I want to give them a big shout out, fantastic place to eat and drink. Yeah. Um, but they very kindly gave us a room there for nothing and yeah. allowed us to hold these speakers. We had 24 speakers across a whole range of areas. Um, from, Should I just give a quick yeah, list of it? Yeah, James so, can do this really I, well. Um, so, you know, uh, Trevor Shilton from the Hart Foundation. Yep. Uh, Piers Vestigan from the Conservation Council. Uh, architects, urban planners. Uh, Marion Fulker from the Committee for Perth. Um, RAC, the um, minister. So we had um, the shadow minister for planning. We had the planning minister. Um, we had uh, Senator Dean Smith and Dave Kelly talking about digital disruption. We've had Tim uh, Hammond. Tim Hammond um, bless Tim, we miss you, mate. Um, and we're looking forward to working with um, the new member for Perth. Uh, we've had, we've had um, state and federal um, politicians and bureaucrats. Uh, you know, so it, it's a, a, a and, and I think probably our most high profile was uh, Professor Peter Newman. Peter Newman, yeah. Uh, Peter Sapiotti. Uh, Bill Hames, uh, who runs the largest architectural um, practice in uh, in Australia, uh, Hames Charlie um, spoke, and th- all of these. So uh, Paul, so that that's basically the caliber of the speakers we have. Mm. We're inspirational people. You know, I mean, what would the Hart Foundation be interested in rejuvenating a town centre for? Their connection, obviously, if you're going to deal with obesity and heart disease, we need to get people walking more. Yep. How, how do you get people walking more? They've got to walk somewhere. You've, you've got to go somewhere. You can't yeah. just aimless... I don't know about you. I mean, uh, if it wasn't for my dog um, and the <laughs> fact that I don't have a car... Um, so. Um, you know, 18 months ago, as a result of these speaker series, I actually sold my car to be able to walk more, and I've now lost five kilos in a year with no change to diet or anything. All I'm now doing is walking from the train station, walk to work, uh, walk home, mm. and it's actually you, you meet more people, you're out on the street. So, you know, the Heart Foundation are interested in, in an urban development debate. Yeah, from a health point of view. The the Conservation Council are interested in contributing to this because um, if we continue the destruction of the biodiversity uh, world hotspot out on our urban fringe, uh, we'll have a city that will go from Geraldton to Bunbury and that's just not sustainable. Uh, So we we were looking for people that could be inspirational and talk about urban regeneration from slightly different perspectives that all then build a story or a narrative about Mm. what is it. Look, in any any other part of the world, 
um, Bayswater would be a thriving community hub uh, with vibrant active. There'd be people coming and going, lots of local jobs. Uh, there'd be a choice of um, uh, restaurants, cafes, small bars. There'd be a dry cleaner. Uh, there'd be a fruit and veg shop. There'd be you know yeah. stuff for people to come and, and do. So that that's really yeah. um, the, the evidence that we we're trying to collect. Yeah. And they were knowledgeable and they were experts in their field, and they did it for nothing. Yes, which spun me out. And so, as a you know a physics teacher, no, I, was, I was the MC of these events, and I just learnt so much. As I'm sure the, the, the hundreds and hundreds of people from the local community who came did as well. And that, so so we did that. And we live streamed it on Facebook, so you can go to our Facebook page and yeah. actually watch these. Yeah. Um, the other thing um, we then we were doing at the same time is we were advocating directly to our decision makers. Right. Um, but again, you know, I've, we'd all seen this done in a particular way before, and we decided we didn't want to be like that. So yes. we, we've always tried to be very calm, again, evidence based, supportive. You know, we pitched ourselves as, as someone's you know, in the community interest, future focus. So, we, you know, what we're talking about may not necessarily actually benefit us very much because it's probably going to take a while. We might not even be here. Yeah. Um, so we do a lot of advocacy and we'll talk to anyone in any level of government or any influencer that we can. Um, James and I are a big fan of just taking a punt, you know, like, mm. we'll go and talk to this person, see what see what comes of it. And most of the time something does, you will either learn something or they'll introduce you to someone else or they'll get a message, which you then hear later on that they've passed on in other forums, which, yeah. which may have some influence. So a lot of advocacy, a lot of face-to-face stuff, a lot of letter writing. Mm. Um, 2017, we decided that we would go to the community. So we're sitting in a room at the moment and you'll notice a lot of butchers paid. Yes. That's all from the community and that's yeah. from workshops we've been doing since 2017. And all of it was around what... The speaker series is about what makes a good town centre. Yeah. From all those perspectives. Like that educated. suppose so, yeah. Um, I was certainly educated. Um, 2017 and 2018 has been about going to the community and filling a gap that we can see is there. And it's not community engagement because community engagement, we've learned there's a difference between community engagement and going and seeking public permission. Right. We're seeking public permission. Community engagement, um, a a really well-known community engagement person told us, is normally done at the end of the process, not before. When a problem looms up, local government or others will come to you and say, oh, we've got this problem to fix. And most people will go, oh, didn't even know the problem existed. And that's, that's not true engagement. To us, we could say that that's pretty much what was happening. Mm. What we wanted to do was get in at the grassroots level and say, we've got an opportunity here. Talk about the opportunities. Talk about the, 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 you know, the train station, the upgrade that's happening there. This is going to be a metro net hub train every three minutes wouldn't it be great to leverage those opportunities and if we did what would that look like so last year was really about look and feel this year is about okay how are we going to do that and out of all the work we did last year three themes emerged um, about the sorts of things that people could envisage the town a successful town center and area being like Mm. fit into three categories people 
Yep. Place and prosperity. So we've started three working groups. We've only met a couple of weeks ago for the first time. I was blown away by the number of people who came out on a Thursday night to sleepy old Bayswater pouring with rain. Had about 50 people split into three groups, all locals. Um, a couple from out, out, of, out of town as well. Um, talking about how are we going to make this a, a, a prosperous place that people want to come to. Um, and so we've, that's kind of how we've gone about it. Um, and, and I think it's been authentically grassroots. Yeah. It's, it's being from the locality um, and getting the locality to join in in, in ways that, are, that it sounds quite serious. We have a lot of fun. And we have events where, you know, basically it's a piss up. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> I admit that. But when they're here, as well as, as, well as, as they're doing a bit of work, uh, sorry, as they're having a few beers, they're doing a little bit of work for us. And um, well, I think that's why they keep coming back. So you've got to make the events enjoyable and something that people want to come to because, yeah. you know, the pro- you know I'm a, as you know, I'm a former mayor and um, trying to get people to come to a town hall meeting is incredibly difficult at the best of time. Mm. So, you know, what would actually motivate you to go to a town hall meeting? You've either got to be really, you know, you've got to be pretty um, determined to either stop something or you're going to talk about the outrage that you have with whatever new proposal, whatever the change is. Um, the, The sensible middle aren't going to turn up because they, they're assuming that the government is actually going to provide how... That's what we're saying. Yeah, right? that they're going to provide the sort of services and facilities and they're going to provide the housing and the jobs um, that, that we need. Um, so, you know, I think the reason why we spend so much time um, encouraging the people... And we, we, would, we, we go out and um, we invite everybody. Everybody is welcome to come along to these workshops. And it's, so it's not Andrew and Paul, our chair and deputy chair, cooking up some evil plan <laughs> in, in a back room somewhere and then forcing it on the rest of the community. This is actually the community themselves deciding what it is they would like to see. Mm. And so, and we've also been incredible. I think the other shout out we need to do is to Jim White from oh, yes. Curtin Innovation yeah. Central. Uh, so Jim's run a couple of design sprint process, which actually helps us focus on, um, we've only got an hour to, you know, um, speed, um, to, to quickly get ideas down on butcher's paper, um, and, but to have them organised in a way that is around, you know, what is it that we need to do? How do we capture the opportunity? And what is it that we need to do to get started? So those three very, and, and that's, you might have, Picked up that with Brody at the um, the Flux yeah. and Spaced Cube around digital transformation and um, a digital sprint. We're, we're we're doing a design sprint. Yeah, and 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 that is the way that we've been able to mobile mobilise the um, community um, to um, bring people together. And then the other the final point is that all of the work that we've done is up on our Facebook page and our Trello page. So it, every bit of these butcher's paper that you can see in, in here, Bryn, and this, this is a reasonably large room and it's yeah. covered in butcher's paper. So we also keep it up on the wall so that anybody who comes in here and actually you, we use this place like an exhibition space, you can come in and see the work that you did six months ago and still see it up on the wall. And believe that Future Bayswater is taking those ideas seriously and we're curating them to maybe land a, 
a, um, you know, wouldn't it be great to have a uh, boutique brewery? Mm. Uh, wouldn't it be great to have a, um, a farmer's market? Wouldn't it be great to have a, um, a di- you know, like a space cube or a flux here in Bayswater mm. where we can help with the digital literacy? We can um, bring people up to, to, um, to speed with um, the, the transformations that are happening. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that you know that you can see we've connected with a lot of people. Yeah, I think that's the other thing we've done, and you know, I mean, people like Jim White and Peter Newman and all the people we've spoken to, spoken about people like Elena Raku, you know, mm-hmm. who we both know. Um, these people have expertise, and I think we've been really good at at gathering people like that to the cause, if you like. Um, I think a lot of them who are in this space look at us and were surprised they couldn't believe that a group like us would spring up who were not afraid to talk about the future and wanted to talk about the future mm. wanted to talk about the issues of population growth but all the opportunities that can be leveraged from that so i think you know talking to and getting and collectively to as well rather than just a good idea over a beer well, that's always a great way to start. It is. It is. And I know you have, you know, you have beers at these events. But what I'm saying is, yeah. is that often, you know, we have come up with these great ideas in isolation. Correct. Yeah. So where do you guys see the the green shoots coming from, which will start to turn things around towards where you guys are? Sort of visioning and, and 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 planning and well, the green shoots are everywhere. Yeah, um, but they are only green shoots. So there's a lot of places. So I mean, for example, the conversation in Bayswater has changed mm. completely because of because of you know our efforts. I mean, it, it sounds a bit big headed, but that mm. conversation wasn't happening before, and it's taken a lot of work. You know, and those opposing views are still out there. There's no doubt about that. And those people are more than welcome to them. But, but I think what we've shown is that there is a hunger for the sort of vision that we've been talking about for this town centre and this community. So to us, you know, the, the, the massive outreach we now have on social media, the massive number of people who come to our events, that's a great shoot. Um, when you talk to people like, Dean Smith and you know the the federal ministers for cities. We've we've had two of them come and visit us here in Bayswater, mm. and you talk to them about their vision and what has to happen in Perth cities, and and the things that they are doing in terms of legislation, and also the you know the the, the carrot approach that they are using via things like city deals, those sorts of schemes to 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 try and get this to happen. I see that as a green shoot. That's a big conversation. You know, we've mentioned Dean Smith before. Dean is one of the main politicians talking about population growth now and doing it in a calm, sane way where you don't have different groups being vilified or whatever. Um, so I see that, you know, the state government, when we talk to the state government, um, there are people there that, you know, are saying Metronet is our number one, number one uh, thing that we have to accomplish. Bayswater is front and centre of that. This is actually low-hanging fruit for that. that. So when you meet people like that, you see green shoots. Um, but I, but what I, about in the, other, in the third leg of, of, it, of this? Because there is the people, yeah. there is the government, yeah. and then there's the business. 
Yeah, I mean, well, you know, the thing about business, and I mean, you probably talk about this better, James, but my, you know, it, let's put it this way. When the council here a couple of years ago changed the local planning scheme to say you can have a building that's 20 metres tall, immediately, immediately a development application went in on this site mm. to build. It's not built yet. Probably going to be built <laughs> next year. But, and that's how much opposition there has been. But, but to me, the develops will go where there's less sovereign risk, where there is clearly an appetite in the community and they're not going to be stuffed around, okay? Um, and that's where the third leg us comes in. And I, and I think that's the other green sheet I see, and I might go over to you, James, is there are future Bayswaters forming in a lot of different jurisdictions now. Mm. So there's, you know, future Nedlands. I was going to ask about that later, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. There are other futures. There are other organisations mm. like us starting up. And we, we do liaise with them. And I, I suppose we've been able to tell them a few do's and don'ts. Um, and, and Accelerate their journey. Well, Accelerate and, and, journey. and yeah. learn, learn, through, learn through experience. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when, when we started, we only... We were talking about one building and that was probably we put a bit of a target on our back mm. um, and also um, how you bring people with differing views into the conversation so they actually feel completely welcomed uh, and part of it and we, we I guess in hindsight we could have been you know more proactive in uh, I guess there was a there was a huge amount of shock at that um, town hall meeting that people would behave in such a manner and have such an attitude that they really what they're effectively saying. I love it when they say, "Oh, we're all for development. Just put it down the road, yeah. you know, Maylands or Bassendine, but just not in Bayswater." New York. <laughs> and, you, and you just you just wonder where that comes from. I'll just pick up another point that Paul made on um, sovereign risk. Um, some people may not know what that term is, but the, the challenge that we've got now is that when people who want to redevelop a site are spending more money on lawyers than they are on architects, yes, we're, we're in big trouble. Mm. Um, and so the people who are opposing uh, development and some of the councillors who come up with these strange amendments that come out of nowhere, we, we're not quite sure what, on what basis they're, they're suggesting that we've got to reduce the height of the buildings. That means that developers need to spend more money on lawyers uh, to be able to you know, manage the development. It's an incredibly complicated system from the development applications um, through to you know, the State Administrative Tribunal and the development assessment panels. And it just, it, you know, it can do your head in, in terms mm. of how complicated it is. The, this is counterproductive. And it's counterintuitive because if you were to actually spend more money on architects and good quality design, so you might have heard um, of the term Quimby, Q-U-I-M-B, it's quality in my backyard. We're, we're talking right. about really good design, beautifully built um, design buildings that actually meet the needs of, of the community. Uh, we're not talking about you know the old 1950s slums or the, the London council flats that yeah. <laughs> that you might be that people are familiar with. And then in Perth we gave them really good names. We actually we called it Brownlee Towers. So there, there was actually a London council flat design yeah. out in Canning, and we called it Brownlee. Um, so you know I think um, what we're also trying to the other green shoot is to say to the developers, um, you're welcome but on the terms that the community mm. decides that they want to see. What sort of quality do they want to see? What sort of 
functionality um, what's the sort of amenity that we need mm. on the ground floor um, that is going to activate the place now that's a completely different conversation and I think that's also the green shoot in um, in the development industry is they're really um, paying very close attention to what we're doing in future Bayswater because this is also going to create a public permission um, for developers to come in and deliver the sort of um, standard that we're actually expecting of them. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, you know, we've, we, we have spoken to developers, as evil as they are, we've gone into their lair and spoken to them. And, you know, I mean, it's like anything. Like, I mean, I, I, I'm a teacher. I don't just go in and do, you know, a minimal job to drag my payment. One of the things I've learned about developers who, who cop a bad rap around here, they really do, um, is that they want to do a good job. They're putting things up that will be there, buildings that will be there for half a century at least, and they yeah. don't want to have pinned on them some abomination that was done on the cheap. Now, there's no doubt there are some out there like There's no doubt about that. But certainly the developer that we're dealing with, uh, have dealt with here, who we've spoken to, and who has kindly let us be in this house rent-free, we're paying for the utilities, um, you know, he'll talk about the fact that he wants to have pride in what he does. Mm. Um, but a bit of guidance would be good from the community. And this is the other thing that... Uh, this is this is another green shoot. I think what we've promoted is a conversation about... In fact, there are ways that communities can have a really big say in the look and feel of a place. The local council has a really big responsibility with that. Um, they can have a, a panel and a set of guidelines and every development has to satisfy those guidelines and a panel of experts will actually determine that. Now, we've got half of that. We've got the panel. We've got no guidelines in Bayswater. But that's a green shoot. Right. And, and look, in future Bayswater, we're instrumental in getting the design review panel up and mm. in place. We put a lot of pressure on the council to do that. Um, I think the other green shoot was um, Amendment 76, um, which was a... How can we be charitable about Amendment 76? But luckily, the, um, the councillors decided once we'd explained why it wasn't going to work and how it um, was going to be a detrimental impact on the quality that we're looking for and, and the, um, uh, the yield. So a yield is in terms of how many apartments can we get in the town centre which will then drive the economic sustainability yeah. of the town centre. Um, so we, we've, through our um, advocacy through our lobbying and uh, through our deputations at the council meeting, uh, for, you know, wasn't it heartening, Paul, when it was unanimously rejected? Yeah, it was. There, so there's a green sheet there. Mm. So they're everywhere, mm. but they're slow-growing green shoots and we need a lot more. So, you know, our job is not over yet and, you know, no. we've, got to keep, we've got to keep pushing in all the <clears> ways that we have. But, but, you know, the boat has turned around. As I say, I still go back to this. There was only one conversation going on three years ago. No, it's no, 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 no. No, 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 not in my backyard. Please do it somewhere else. Wait till I die. You can do it then, um, whatever. Um, and that conversation has completely changed now. Um, and I think that was an incredibly important first step. But it's taken us a long time. Um, that's why it's good to have a big crew. So yeah, someone where is a bit worn out, you can go so have a rest, and someone sits down. It's all go out the front. Yeah, that's right. Hard on that. Yeah. How 
how do you deal with the fact that obviously you guys can see things so clearly and then there are people that just can't or they're not there yet I mean you must I know you don't do was it you don't do public consultations or, or you don't do engagements that come at the end of the process but um, you know there has to be an element of patience behind this because you're bringing people up to speed etc etc with not just a vision but a way of thinking you yeah. know you know you're opening up people's perspective from it's not just about today it's about tomorrow it's about what do you want it to look like in five ten years time what do you want to look like for your kids do you want your kids to still be around be able to visit you because if otherwise they're going to be an hour away because they can't afford to live where you do you know that, that's a whole lot of education uh, not just on a not just on a knowledge basis but on a perspective basis mm. how do you guys deal with that well, I would start off by talking about how we've found general people generally to be in this space. Mm. So you've got your bell curve, your normal distribution. Yep. Um, so at either end, you know, you've got the people who get it, as yeah. we would say, who have our vision. We would be at 10, the 10 to 20% at once. Yes. And we have our vision and we're going to pursue it and um, obviously we're very determined and we're mm. not going to change. At the other end, you've got people who are the complete opposite and they yep. are not going to change either. Yep. In the middle, you've got people who were probably like me a couple of years ago, God bless them and good luck to them, <laughs> who just live their life yes. and expect that this stuff will be taken care of. Mm. So the first lesson is we're pitching to them. Yes, we are pitching to them. So, so you've got to you, you've got to channel your energies to the right places, mm. and we are not always successful at that. And I mean, you know, I'm called the chairperson of Future Baseball, and the one thing that drives me nuts is that occasionally we start talking to that twenty percent at the other end, and we're not going to change their mind. No, um, you're going to get a return on your effort. Thank you very much. I hope hope all the group are listening here because you're right. I mean, and so, you know, that's a battle for all of us to keep reminding ourselves of that. And I mean, James, myself and Andrew had a chat about that this afternoon. Let's just remember who we're really trying to go after. So so that's the first thing. That, that, that's what I'm saying. Win friends and influence people. Mm. We, we really, I mean, you know, that, yeah. that that's a, an old... Um, and 1934, um, How to Win Friends and Influence People, Dale Carnegie. Yeah. It's still true today. Yes. Yeah. And I, and I, think, I think what we've learned is there are some things that you just never talk about. So we, we spent our first six months talking about a building, and James said before that put a target on our back. Yeah. Because it, it, it allows that other end of the spectrum to take you down a rabbit hole you never ever get out of you're talking yeah. about a building yeah. you're not talking about the vision anymore so what we talk about now is the vision and you know the, the, the buildings that are built have to serve that vision and we try not to talk about that as much anymore so mm. that's a don't um, we, we're having serious discussions about serious things but we try to have a lot of fun mm. We didn't always do that. Um, you know, our speaker series were pretty serious stuff. Hmm. Um, but, you know, we've organized, we organised an event a couple of months ago and nearly 900 people rolled up. I mean, I was, we were shocked. And it was basically beers and burgers and beets and James is getting the flyer right now. Um, yeah. 
And, but, but, while people came, it was on this site. Yeah, it was on this site here over these two buildings, but in this building, when people came in with their beer and their burger, we were asking them for some feedback about yes. what they would say. So, so making it fun, I think, is really important. Mm. And what it's enabled us to do is to hook into a demographic that we've been singularly successful, unsuccessful with. And I always say to James, if you're going to call yourself future Bayswater, you better engage the future mm. really quickly and the future meaning younger people. And we've started to have a bit more success with that. And that's been a game changer. Mm. Um, you're right about having patience because, because that middle 60 to 80% I'm talking about, that's a lot of people. Yes. And to get a critical mass of those, it, it's a relentless day-by-day effort. Hmm. Um, and and that's, that's what we're doing. So, I don't know. Well, if... we've, we've built an amazing um, profile on Facebook. So we've now got 1600, well, over 1,600 likes. Hmm. Um, and we've got to reach 25,000 people that, are, um, that dive in and out of our... So 25,000 unique individuals um, that are... So they're local... But there are also people in, you know, the other future locations that Paul was talking about who are really keeping an eye on what we're doing. We're, we're acting as a bit of a pilot project yes. uh, around um, how do you go about getting that public permission? How mm. do you go about um, connecting with Gen Y, um, Gen I, um, the, the, um, I mean, at that um, our last open house event, we had um, 50 prams turn up. Now, they are... With babies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and those babies are going to be the future decision makers. So, you know, we're, we're actually talking to mums and dads and their teenagers and their young adults about the sort of um, mm. lifestyle opportunities, about livability, about what they would like to see in the town centre. So, you know, we've asked people, what sort of services and facilities do you want in the town centre? We've just lost... Our fruit and veg shop has closed up, and um, the conversation is, um, what now? What do we do next? You know, how do we how do we get those sort of businesses to actually want to come to Bayswater? Because at the moment, it's almost like there's this magnetic force field around the town saying, "Don't come to Bayswater. Go anywhere else." Yeah, repelling. Mm. And and you know, I think I think we are volunteers. Yes. Um, so how do we sustain the efforts? It's been tough. Um, but we've started to get support from like Bendigo Bank. I think you know it's really important mm. we mention them. They're a local community bank and they've been really, really generous. Have to say the local councils start has kicked in some money recently to help us with an event. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, by, by actually having a connection with Bendigo Bank, who obviously a lot of locals bank with, that's given us another connection. And, and it's enabled the bank to be seen as very proactively community, which they are anyway, but very, very local activities. Um, but it's also, I think, a really important partnership. I think that that's, I think the partnerships are really important. I think that gives mm. you credibility. Our partnership with Curtin University, is, that's blown me away. Two and a yes. half years ago, I had no idea that was going to happen. James has been one of the main reasons that's occurred. To have architecture and town planning students in our town centre and they're young people yeah talking to young people about what do you want this place to be like yeah 
In terms of a capturing hearts and minds exercise, it's been incredibly powerful. Um, and you, you were in here today with a mentoring program, weren't you? Yeah, so we, were, um, we had 65 students and, um, and a dozen uh, mentors, uh, you know, and engineers, architects, um, urban planners, economists, placemakers, local government. Um, uh, just amazing how you can put some um, experienced um, professionals in with a group of students and it, what, what was really gratifying at the end of the day was that both the mentors and the students said we got a lot out of that so the mentors are now connecting with young yeah. people with the young professional students who are in their final so th these are urban planning students in their final semester so next year these will be town planners going out and working for the consulting firms and local government and the rest and um, to have a practical experience. So this is the first time that Curtin has actually left the campus and set up a satellite or, or a hub. Uh, re, this is the Regeneration Innovation Hub where we're sitting. Uh, it was our initiative to put it together, but without Curtin's partnership. Mm. This is the power of actually the students coming in and, and having a practical project where they can, act, they can see for themselves that the town currently is not working. Yeah, they know that the the, the set, one of the busiest train this is stations. Real life. This is real. Yeah, they're in the field. They're in the field. Mm. They're they're watching what Metronet are doing with that train station. This is going to be one of the busiest train stations outside of Perth, metropolitan Perth, because it's a junction. Mm. The airport line comes in, the Midland line comes in, and um, in time, the Ellenbrook line will also join at Bayswater. So these students are getting a tangible um, experience. It's it's real. They can feel it, they can see it. But the mentors come in and they, they, they're engaging with a bunch of um, enthusiastic students that also want to be part of the experience. So um, I really look for I mean, the students are here every Thursday afternoon and all day Friday. So we have the town planning students on Thursday afternoon and then we have two different groups of architecture students, one group in the morning, one group in the afternoon. We had them all here today, three groups, and um, the just the... the um, the frisson, I think, was that word you used at the beginning. Yes, it's my new word. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Mm. So, what does the next uh, three to five years look like for you guys? Wow. Well, you know, one of the things I really enjoy about Future Base, or and not everybody shares this, is it's the unknowability of it. Mm. Um, I really like that. I know James. I was intrigued to know how this uh, this question was going to be answered. Yeah, because so, it, I mean, I think it'll be more of the same. I mean, we will always continue to do our uh, advocacy via the local council, via state and federal government. We will always do that. Um, and we will keep doing that until, you know, um, really, at some, I guess there'll be some end point. I don't know what it is. But, but it's, it's, it's not just about how it's going to look and feel. It's, it's about, about what's going to be happening here. Yes. And we've, we've started to come across a few opportunities to really think about what are some of the real hardware nuts and bolts things that can happen in this town centre to, to bring people in, to make it a place that people want to come to and to drive prosperity. And so we've got a few ideas um, 
which I don't know that we can really talk about. But I, mean, I think, I think only, only because they're so embryonic. I mean, you know, the problem is also about raising expectations. Mm. Uh, you, mm. you could talk about, um, you know, could, could we actually um, drive enough local employment that... Because um, at the moment, um, Bayswater's um, employment self-sufficiency is one of the worst in metropolitan mm. Perth. In other words, everybody has to leave in the morning. Paul is one of the few people that yeah. actually lives and works. So he doesn't have that far to go from home to work. Mm. But everybody else, they have to leave in the morning to go somewhere else to work. Yes. We, we could turn that around. So it feels um, quite a ghost town during the day. Oh, that's yeah. right. But, you know, uh, it's, it's not that we've got a secret squirrel club because you, when you come in here and you see the butcher's paper and there's lots of really great ideas, you know, from a Made in Bayswater campaign um, to stuff out in the light industrial area um, to a boutique brewery to, you know, a whole bunch of other opportunities. But we're in the, we're in the planning phase of that now because we've built such a body of work and we've also now got a reputation where people actually are coming to us. Yes. Um, to um, say, hey, here's a great idea. Uh, could you help us um, socialise the idea or help develop the idea to the point where we might be able to do something? So uh, we're, we're probably another 12 months away before we... we yeah. Uh, look, it might be six months, who knows? Yeah. But it, there's, um, there's a couple of things that we're working on um, which will actually deliver uh, a more vibrant active centre. Yeah, and I mean, in the short term, I mean, you know, in terms of, how, you know, the built form in this town, there are a few things that we're advocating for via local government, the WA Planning Commission. So mm. there's a structure plan for this area that the local council has endorsed and, and we feel that it, it needs to be turbocharged somewhat. So we'll, we'll be going to the WA Planning Commission to, to argue our case there. We've done that once before. Mm. Um, the next train station down is called the Meltham train station. I actually live near there. Um, structure plan, same deal, came out nowhere near what it needed to be to drive the investment and all the benefits that can come from that. So we end up going to the WAPC and, and getting some significant changes there. So that's looming large. Um, and, you know, in terms of Metronet, there's going to be a station upgrade. Um, but, you know, Metronet is not just a, a, a transport plan. or a, it, it, It's a plan for urban regeneration. So we're having a, a pretty big input and say into that. Um, that's because we're on the community advisory group. And so we're on there with a couple of the other yeah. Bayswater so, groups. So, you know, I mean, there, there are specific things in the future that we are going to be obviously working on and are working on. But, you know, we're probably on a 90-day survival plan at the moment. Right. And then, but, but for me, um, it's pretty obvious to me that the things that we're talking about are somewhat, somewhat in the future. So yes. will we be around in three to five years? Absolutely. I can't see why we wouldn't be. Mm. It's too much fun. Really enjoy it as well. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of work to do. But how are we going to go about it? Um, some of that stuff I, I actually don't know yet. I don't know. But our approach will be the same. It'll be collective. It'll be grassroots. We'll be going to the community. It'll be evidence-based. It'll be around a safe conversation. Um, and, you know, that it's more about how we're going to behave and as the opportunities arise, that's important to me as the chair. Um, because lot, as James says, lots of people will come to us and say, we need help with this. Will you help with this? What about this idea? But as long as we have the same approach and, and at the end of the day, what we want 
is for this place to become a model Metronet hub, a modern 21st century hub with 21st century jobs. So right back about an hour ago, James talked about the right jobs. You know, as a teacher, it's really important to me. Mm. You know, we've got to be educating our students so that they can work in a 21st century workforce. Yes. And that means generic skills. That doesn't mean content. That doesn't mean knowing, you know, the structure of the animal. That's incredibly fascinating. But it's but having those generic skills, critical thinking, you know, being able to work in a team, collaborating, all of those things, they're the jobs that we want here. And one of the projects that we're working on is about how we can help facilitate that in Bayswater. So... And we've got an amazing, a potential sponsor that will just, you know, even does my head. I mean, Curtin is an amazing partner, but um, this other project we're working on with a very significant sponsor, I think, um, for me, for me, the next three to five years is around our financial sustainability. So yeah. future, future Bayswater needs a financial um, sustainability mm. plan. Um, you know, we, we got the power bill for this place um, the other day and everyone goes oh my god how are we going to find that money to to just simply keep the lights on yes so yeah that that actually is a very important thing to to do but but you know i mean for me when i think back over the last two and a half years it's just amazing how you know if, if you if we've needed something we've got it yes we've got it so you know we've ridden our luck a little bit but you make your own luck, and, and I think if you, if you put it out there, yeah, it comes back. It does, and and you know a lot of the, the help we've had has not has been in kind, and really, if we were to add that up, it's unbelievable what that yeah. would be worth. So, I mean, you know, it's a tough question where we're going to be in three to five yeah. years. Hopefully, still alive, um, still in Bayswater. Um, but we'll, but I, I think we can see that there's so much for us to do because there is a gap there, in, certainly in this community. And the, there's a question, if we don't do it, who is going to? And yeah. uh, That's the big thing that I'm getting here is, is that if somebody doesn't do something, then what's going to happen? We can't abdicate to the, to the, to the, to the government. No. Um, and again, a theme that pops up in podcasts is if we're not taking responsibility, we're not taking accountability yep. for ourselves, where we live, where we put in our body, where we work, who is. If you abdicate that, then well, you'll get what you get. That's right, and it will happen to you. To you. And, um, and, and with you. if you think about that, that, that's where bad outcomes come from, you know. Mm. I mean, certainly in this space, I, I, that, that's so true, you know. And I mean, there's no point in whinging when it happens to you and you don't like it but it, it, that's a big lesson I think you know that it, it really changed my view of, of what government is able to do actually mm. you know and I probably had a misleading view of what governments were actually capable of mm. that third leg you know the, the community is really really important you get your best outcomes with that Mm. Well, I think it's around, um, you know, the, the local leadership. You know, I, I, I talked about the term sovereign risk. Well, Paul mentioned sovereign risk and I gave you a bit of a definition. For me, um, one of the ways to avoid sovereign risk is that we actually articulate what it is that we would like to see. Yes. Um, and we're, we're out there advocating for the sort of decision-making that we would like to see. And as one small example, the original budget for the Bayswater train station was $40 million. 
as we, and we know um, because of the um, feedback that we've had from the minister is that um, and folk in the Department of Transport and Metronet is that as a direct consequences of us identifying the opportunities with connecting the train station to the town centre and to the light industrial area and traffic movements and all the rest of it, the budget is now $86 million. Because it sounds like you provided a, an articulated research. So we're, we're, we're providing a solution, a local solution, and um, the, one of the ways to deal with sovereign risk is that you actually take the risk away from the decision-making process and the investment place. Now, the... Um, state government has almost said, thank God somebody's actually here talking about what they want to see and what they're for and mm. helping us identify some of those planning solutions, which then allows us to go on and build a train station that we know most people are going to think, hey, this is a, this is a good thing. This is a good outcome for our community. Yeah, it's, um, it's difficult to take action and do something. It's easy to sit on the sidelines and throw rocks. Totally. And as I say, I was introduced to recently is um, if you're going to make massive change or you're talking about massive change, then you're going to be met with massive resistance. Correct. The size of the change will be, will be met with an equal amount of resistance. <laughs> so if so it's almost reframing that to if we are getting massive resistance, well, we must be on the right track. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean. <laughs> Hatred can be a validation, you know. Yes. I, mean, I always sort of say, um, it's okay to be hated by the right people. That's a validation. But, but you know, I, I guess we try to make these tough decisions easier to make. That's, yeah. what, that's what we hope to do. Um, I think sometimes some, some decision makers think we're making it harder for them um, because it's not the decision they want to make mm. for whatever reason. But... You know, we like we like to think of ourselves as a bit of Kevlar for these people because I actually think that there would be councils all over the place that would love to have a future Bayswater type group there. I, one of the things that's coming through to me is that you're almost like blazing the path of of shaping out the blueprint for this for mm. other places. Yeah, with the, the how-to manual, yeah, which we must write one day, James. But that's why, yeah, I mean, we, and we've had some other councils come and talk to us about yeah. what right. what is this group doing and how do we start that. Um, it's yeah, it's it, it it is quite unique. I think I think I don't think there's many groups like us around. We're no. getting that feeling. Um, and I know there's a Yimby movement over east, and there's a Yimby in Perth. But what we're we what we're doing, I I, I gather, is very unique. Um, so that's yes in my backyard. Yeah, sorry. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, I think Paul, you know the other validation, Paul, is that you you're awarded. So we've also got industry um, feedback and recognition. Mm. Uh, we've had the Planning Institute of Australia. So we had the State Planning Champion Award. We won the Best Community Engagement Plan, and we had a, a special president's commendation for the work that we're doing so you know to, to get that from um urban planners and and professionals in the space uh and then i mean paul never ever imagined that uh, we'd head off to the national planning champion award and he would be awarded the national planning champion of australia there you go. Yeah, that that I'm still trying to figure out what that means. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but um, but you know it was. 
I just take that as a validation for what yeah. the group's doing. And it was it's really interesting talking to people from that industry on those nights before we'd had too many celebratory drinks. Some of them were saying this is this is a sign, this is a signal that you know, some of them were actually saying, We think we can do this public permission thing, but we might not be the best at it. We need to find groups like you. And to me, that's the best thing about those awards. You know, it's, mm. it's great. It's great to have a gong and it's great to be fated. But we don't focused on driving out to public permission. Yeah, that, that to me, talking to people that night, <clears throat> um, that night and since, that was, I think, the big message. Now, how much it's being um, adhered to, that message, I, I'm not sure. I think, like all these things, that's a green shoot that we were talking about before. Um, and it's slowly, I think, dawning on, on both governments and, and that industry that this is not a bad, this is a, probably a good way to go. Because if you can get the local community on board, the decisions are just so much easier to make, but the outcomes are so much better. So much better with local input. So that's how I look at those. That was a that was a real sort of sign and a validation we're on the right track. So yeah, but it's really around the um, uh, the the process of engaging the community. If you think about the row eight decision, uh, you know, and the tens of millions of dollars that was spent on that um, for it to be um, turfed out the window. Same with the um, East West Connect project in Melbourne. Similarly, with the Sydney to Bankstown light rail project in Sydney, or even look at the light rail project right in the heart of Sydney at the moment, because it is so difficult to win the hearts and minds of the community to get that political validation to to actually have local leaders with the courage to step up and say, there is actually a better way to plan our infrastructure. Why can't the community identify what it is that they want to see mm. and how they want it de- to delivered? Yeah, sorry, Ron. Well, and then, then it actually makes it easier for. Um, so then, then it takes political risk away as well because you're not having um, the parliament having to dissect the good and the bad. Here we've got a community that's actually gone through a process of saying, yeah, within well, itself. Yeah, yeah. I guess the, um, the 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 challenge would be that you know you guys have organically come together. So yes. There is there is no um, yeah. outside influence. You've organically created yourself as a node and a node that's worth listening to. Um, if you were trying to synthetically replicate mm. this, mm. then there'll always be that smell of. Intervention, as opposed to, yes. Well, we've got a process. I mean, we're actually following um, a model. So we use the Oregon visioning model. Mm. Um, Portland had similar challenges to Perth 20 years ago. And um, Stephen Ames, the director of planning, came up with a a process to uh, facilitate conversations. He's the guy that talks about public permission. And there's a journey that you go on. So we we can actually replicate um, the process. Um, there is um, some, you know, to go back to our physics metaphor. There is science behind what we're doing. Yeah. But the art of the way that we've gone about, you know, to, to have feral brewing as one of your key sponsors. I mean, who who would have ever <laughs> oh, thought? Oh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you sold, 
It's a load of people. So if you could go back, yeah. I'm going to ask you both individually the same question. If you could go back to the very first start of when you got involved in Bayswater, future Bayswater, and give yourself a piece of advice, what would it be, Jane? Um, look, I, I think um, when we started talking about um, heritage and biophilic design, um, we probably weren't sensitive enough to uh, um, the people who are really con changes confronting. There's a nostalgia for the past uh, that we probably weren't sympathetic enough to say to people, um, you know what, we can actually have a vibrant active town centre and keep the heritage and right. have a... So biophilic um, design is basically... It's a Singapore model where you have a forest and you sleeve the city into it. Yes. What do we do in Perth? We buy the, the quarter acre block and we clear every... So there's only sand left on it. Yes. And we take every single blade of grass off it. And I think we could have helped um, some of the people who are fearful of change realise, you know, hold their hand more and actually say to them, you know what, we'll, we'll go on this journey together. Um, I understand why we did it. I mean, it was that town hall meeting where we just saw people behaving so badly and um, so selfish, really, in the sense that they were saying, my self-interest and my private property rights mm. um, actually transcend the greater community good. That's very good, James. <laughs> um, I agree with all of that. What would I say? Um, I think I would have identified that, try to identify that middle 60 to 80% a bit earlier. Yes. Because, you know, not only did we make a mistake by talking about a building and going down that rabbit hole, you know, we, we did sort of expend a lot of energy trying to convince the unconvincible and I think once we worked out who our audience was and how vast it was and mm. how, how reasonable they were, then our, our, our efforts became a lot more successful. And, yes. and, 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 and quite frankly, we were still grappling with that, I mm. think, two years in. And it's only over the last six or seven months that we've really started to, to break that. And, 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 and now when we sit around the table and have our board meetings every couple of weeks, it's not just people with hair the colour that James and I have got, which to your listeners is of a grey hue. Um, you know, we have all ages. And, yes. and, and, all, and, and I think I would have spent a little bit more time doing that. I mean, one bit of business, this would be called marketing. <laughs> yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just you know, pick your mates very carefully and, and pick your audience yeah. very carefully. Um, yeah, bit of market, absolutely, market yeah. research. But that's the beauty of the journey. Yeah, it's it. And, and, and one bit of advice I give to any group out there that's in this space, and we did do this. Come into this in a minute. Go on. Yeah, be nonpartisan. Yeah. We, you know, so oh, we've got yeah, we've got across around ta our table we have every political hue from left to right in between, mm. and we made a decision very early on that if we became partisan, you know, on a day like today, for example, if you are following a particular party, you, you could become relevant very very quickly. Yeah, yeah, um, and yeah. that would be a bit of advice that I would give, um, and that's that's been a really successful mm. thing for us. Um, it's been able to get out, we've been able to get our feet under the, the right tables by doing that. But for me personally, in changing that, 
I think knowing who you're talking to, who you need to talk to, is very important. Because mm. then you don't get into the arguments that you can never win. Yes. And because then um, you can exit them really quickly. Yeah. yeah, I think that's what I would, to <clears> my <throat> slightly younger but still really old self, that would have been the advice I would give. Would have given so, so. What, um, what are a couple of things you've learned about yourself on this journey? Wow, that's... Um, um, I, I think we're actually pretty resilient. I think we've um, we've actually... It's not we, this is you. Me, me. <laughs> well, um, the, the courage to actually stand up to people who get very personal and um, um, attack you personally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, only today I've got a, 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 an honourable mention on the Facebook page. I'm just saying, yeah. why, why, would, why did that happen? Why would somebody... Um, mention you by name as um, they were impugning your motives, James. Yeah. And I wasn't having that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think I think um, you know for me, for me having the uh, the courage, you know, I, I, the the depths of courage, um, the depth of strength um, to actually persevere. I think that surprised me. Um, the other one is just how much I love doing this. This this is yep. really. Um, I mean, I've met some lifelong, some people now that will be lifelong friends. People that will, will be sitting on the front veranda of the retirement villa, <laughs> up on the sixth floor. the building that is built here, overlooking the sprawling metropolis. overlooking the slum you created, James. You know, <laughs> I'm joking. Um, I think the other one is. Um, how uh, creating a network of networks, um, how powerful that is. I mean, that's right. actually surprised me where, you know, we've created a network within Curtin. So, you know, it's not just the architecture school and the town planning, it's also the business school and um, um, uh, university development. And, uh, you know, the university is now looking to us to, you know, place mentors and um, mm. uh, place um, interns. And, you know, that, that has um, surprised me. Um, and the other one is just um, how much, you know, to have virtually, you know, all of the um, ministers come here to see what we're doing. Uh, Mark McGowan, we've not had the Premier yet, but any time you'd like to come and visit us, you'd be more than welcome. I'm sure he listens to my podcast. So be no he'll doubt. be there in no time. I, I hope he does. Well, he should be if he's not. <laughs> or maybe one of his minders will be listening to yeah. it and we'll, we'll pass the message on. So I think um, for me... Um, it's just how much fun this is, but but how important the work is. Yes, it you know we really are planning for our future generations and our future yeah. kids' prosperity, and um, trying to help the broader community understand that future conditions are actually going to be vastly more difficult mm. than they were privileged to enjoy in the fifties and the sixties. Life was pretty easy. Life was it was good and um, it was a much simpler time. Uh, I, you know, I've got two kids, and um, the challenge that they're going to face is really quite profound. And, and for me, uh, I feel, I'm really proud that I've actually had a pl- part to play in how we manage that transition um, to a brighter future. Mm. What, about yourself? what was the question again? <laughs> what have you learned about yourself? Yeah, that's from this journey. Yeah, I was mesmerised by your answer, James. That was very good. Um, I've actually learned, I've surpri- I'm surprised at how little I care what other people think of me. 
because uh, I reckon that must be quite liberating. Yeah, it, it, it is. And I, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm 54 now. Yes. I reckon if I'd been doing this at 44, I would have gone insane. Right. Because you are relentlessly attacked in a lot of different ways. Yes. And I reckon I would have gone berserk. <laughs> yes. You can't say that to me. And I mean, I would have got very angry. I probably would have got upset. I, and I, and I, and I, I, I guess I didn't. I had a sense at that meeting that if I took this step, I was opening myself up to yeah. to a lot of a lot of criticism, hostility. Putting yourself out there. Yeah, um, and I'm surprised at how much I enjoy it. I, I and because I see it as a bit of a validation. Um, you know, my wife doesn't like it. She doesn't like it at all. Um, <laughs> And, you know, my kids are probably, I had kids later, and I'm probably a little too young to realise it. Although <laughs> the comment comes out and you just go, you know, go, you've been listening to some conversations. But but it is very liberating because you, you're out there saying what you believe is important, mm. working every day in a volunteer status to do it with people that you really, very few people I respect more than the people I know in Future Bayswater. Um, and it's incredibly important, and, but it, it does attract a lot of vitriol. So for me, it's quite a personal thing. I, I was, I was surprised early on how well I was reacting mm. to some of the things that were being said. Um, so, except you, you weren't quite so happy when your car got vandalised. Well, <laughs> even that, you know, even that. I, you know, I walked out one morning, and this is after a I had been up in the council advocating for uh, the Meltham structure plan and we and so the, the, and I got interviewed by the local RAG about that on behalf of Future Bayswater so it was pretty public what our position was and we copped a lot over that a lot posters a whole lot and then we went to the WAPC and the decision came out it was in the local RAG again this is great this is great and the next two mornings, my, I walked out. My car had egg on it. And I remember walking out with my daughter. She goes, this is my eldest daughter, Ella, who's very, very uh, calm and measured. But she's only 13. Oh, Dad, there's egg on your car. <laughs> and she was almost saying this to me as if, did you do that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I went, oh, okay. And we just brushed it off. And they happened again. And so it was pretty, very clear to me. And I know what was happening. Um, but even that, you know, like, I was really amazed at how calmly I took that. And, in fact, I haven't completely washed it off because it's a reminder that of a validation. This is where my head has gone now. I think I'm going insane. But, but I, think, I think that's a really good quality to have mm. um, because it is, as I said before, such an emotional area. I totally get that. But if we only address this issue of population growth and how we're going to leverage this in an emotional way, we are not going to get what we want. Yeah. And so, so along with being evidence-based, you, you've got to have that calm demeanor. And I'm really surprised I seem to mostly have it. So that's a big thing I learned about myself. And mm. I think it's important. I think, yeah, to, it's, it's fantastic to hear in that you know, it's so easy for us to feel passionate about something and get teeter right to the edge of coming out and saying something and then going back to where it's 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 mm. it's comfortable yeah but to actually come out and express 
this is me this is what I'm about yeah love it or hey this is a part of why I do the podcast yeah to have real conversations with whether people can can say what they want yeah it's it's fantastic yeah and and so yeah uh, I hear it's great to hear and hear it yeah by the way haven't always got it right. No, no. <laughs> but the good thing about having a large group of mates is then you'll get them telling you you need to put your head in. Yes. And that's really important too. Indeed. So, yeah. yeah. So, last question for you guys sure. is for anybody out there who has come outside of, of, of Future Bay yeah. and Futures for wherever else, for anybody else out there who sees something and wants to mobilise people around them to shape whether it's the community the things that they see etc etc what what first sort of steps would you suggest to them well find get a gang get a gang find some like-minded mates who um you know like-minded souls really important really important you you need you need the capacity you need the skills they bring you need them to pick you up when you're a bit flat. Um, you need them to tell you to pull your head in when that happens. Mm. Um, but of course, then it's the start of the network of networks, James. Because of course, if there's if you can speak to five people, and they speak to five people, you're away. Yes. So I think it's, for me, that's the, that was my first step. Uh, for me, it's about the message, um, you know, because, you know, there are people in the community who are talking about keeping Bayswater back in the 1950s. Why is that message not resonating? Mm. You know, why, is it, why has that group not become as big as Future Bayswater? I think that that's probably has surprised me, and it's around our purpose and our message. We're really clear about why we're doing this. So for me, um, you know, as Simon Sinek says, why? What's your why? What's your why? Mm. And how are you going to? How can I convince you, Bryn, that my why is actually something that's going to resonate with you and mm. connect with you in a way that you're also going to take action? Because otherwise, uh, we we can get in our own little echo chamber. Yep. And we and we can you know get the group thing happening around. Oh, we just want Bayswater to you know we've got this nostalgic, romantic. Um, you know, hankering for the for the past, but is that actually going to deliver a better future for our kids? No, yes. It, it look, at our grandparents are going to find, might find it fantastic, but um, you, you've really got to be able to connect with um, the broader community, and you've got to have a message that's palatable. So we're not extreme in the sense that we're, as, as Paul talked about, the uh, the bell curve or. Um, it's actually the uh, the law of innovation diffusion. Oh yes, yes. Around how do we move people along the continuum, get them engaged, help them understand the issues, and then empower them to take action. Empower, mm. empower them to be part of the movement. Um, and, we, and we've now got um, so you know so we we talk about how we so it's inclusion, influence. And, and a movement. For us, it's being as inclusive as possible for everybody that wants to be part of the conversation. How do we then influence the decision makers? And along the way, we, we actually have become a movement. Yeah, yeah, we have. By the way, our grandparents would not have expected Bayswater 
to be as it is now. That and that goes back to my point before. I I actually think my grandparents and my parents are probably more progressive than a lot of people my generation because mm. they expected things to just keep getting better and that the community would make that happen. I'm convinced of that. So, mm. but yeah, you're right. It's a movement. There we go. James, Paul, it's been a fascinating conversation. It's, um, it's been my first podcast with two people, which has been... Congratulations. A, thank you very much. Yes, you very experience. well. Yes. Um, no, but it's, it's been fantastic to hear how, the, how, how you've, you've stepped up, taken action, created the movement, brought people in, stepped out of comfort zones, found stuff about yourself, and then helped other people to do that and do that and do that. And we get so stuck in me now, foot in the past, and to open up that perspective to bigger than me, present and future is, is a big sea change. And we just don't get enough of it. Um, it's part of the reason why I created the podcast. Yeah because um, I just got tired of it I just want to talk about now and going forwards and doing great stuff and, it, and it's great to be around your energy and, and, and to hear it and I wish you well on your journey and to you and your podcast it's Thank sensational you. can Thank I just you. ask you a quick question briefly? for sure <laughs> yeah. so, so how did you find out about Future Bayswater and had you heard about what we were doing before somebody obviously said hey you need to go and chat to Paul what was the how did that come about but it was through Alina Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Another so very interesting person. Indeed. Indeed. Who's been part of your speaker series? Great mate of ours. And and if you want an innovator and a disruptor, there's <laughs> one right there. So we've learned a lot from her. So thanks, Alina. Yeah, it's been there great. Guys, thank you very much. Thank you, mate. Cheers. Cheers.